earnestly seek to commend yourself to God as an approved worker who has nothing to be ashamed of, handling the word of truth with precision. We're glad you're joining us for today's program, A Word from the Word, with your host, Pastor Tom, who will unpack for us the richness and beauty of the Bible's original languages as they bear on key words and concepts from both Testaments. Our hope is that your walk with God will be strengthened and deepened, and both your understanding and application of God's Word will be enriched, and you'll be drawn to love it more and more each day. And now, here's Pastor Tom. Hello, friends. Thanks for joining me on A Word from the Word. As you know, we have taken a brief intermission from our current Oh, That First Means That series, so I could share with you a topic I've been passionate about during this COVID and post-COVID season in our lives, especially since I'm a COVID survivor. And I've shared that it can be very easy for us as Christ followers to lose focus on just what we should be pursuing these days, and why this mini four-part interlude is called Reassessing Our Pursuits. In session one, we entertained the question, Are Our Pursuits Aligned with Scripture? Right at the outset, I shared that it's spiritually healthy to periodically take a sober or realistic look at what drives us as Christ followers. In session two, we entertained the question, are we people with a purpose, a passion, and right prerogatives? In session three, we entertained the question, are we people with clean hands and a pure heart? With the goal of putting some handles on just what it means to live a holy life. If you missed any sessions or wish to re-listen to them for your personal or group study or taking notes for future reference, just go to faithtalk1360.com. Search the menu for local program podcasts, then scroll to A Word from the Word. Well, friends, today is the fourth and final session in this mini-series, Re-Evaluating Our Pursuits, and the last question we'll be entertaining is, are we people of prayer? Now, don't switch the station or stop listening, because I'll be the first to admit that prayer can be a somewhat elusive, sometimes baffling subject. But nonetheless, it's a significant subject, isn't it? Friends, whatever's going through your mind right now, believe me, it has gone through my mind as well. So I certainly don't want you to think today's session will just make you feel guilty. I promise you it won't. In fact, I promise you it will actually offer us all some handles on prayer that will be very useful. Plus, I'm not going to say my treatment on this subject of prayer is exhaustive or even the final word. Let's view today's session as a helpful tutorial. Well, friends, let's be begin by being honest, up front, okay? I dare say we've all at one time or another prayed a prayer like this. Uh, Lord, thank you for this day, and uh, forgive me for my sins, Lord, and, and help me to get that job, Lord, uh, if it's your will, of course. And uh, please help John's cold to get better, Lord, and help me not to catch it. And uh, oh yeah, please bless all the missionaries, Lord. Uh, in Jesus' name, amen. Sound familiar? Well, as promised, let's take a guilt-free look at prayer, with our starting point being a prayer in Scripture. I hope will provide some handles for us to grab onto, one that'll help shape our prayer life and give it a backbone we've actually desired it to have. 
Let me begin by saying that both our Old and New Testament words for prayer are full-orbed. In other words, they encompass a lot, like praying, interceding, petitioning, intervening, entreating, urgently appealing, supplications, beseeching, wishing, making our requests known, agreeing with, etc., etc., And as a general rule, the most common assumption and understanding in Scripture regarding prayer is that it is fundamentally interacting with God and learning His will and wishes as He supplies faith to us. And this is not to say that God isn't interested in our wishes, because I believe He is. Additionally, at times it's not so much the content of our prayers as it is the goal or aim of our prayers, and yet... The content of our prayers is also important to God. Well, friends, the prayer I'd like us to look at is probably the most familiar one in the Bible, and I'll bet many of us even have memorized it. It's often called the Lord's Prayer, and it's found in Matthew 6, 9 through 13. But I first want us to notice how important and significant the four verses leading up to this prayer are, because they enlighten us to three attitudes we should have before we even begin praying. Verses 5 through 8 say, And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. And we all know who Jesus is referring to, right? The Pharisees. The verse goes on, Truly I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they'll be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Another thing to notice is that the Lord's Prayer in chapter 6 is sandwiched between chapters 5 and 7. Chapters 5 through 7 record Jesus' teaching commonly called the Sermon on the Mount. Chapter 5 introduces us to a string of phrases beginning with the word blessed. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn, etc. As westernized Gentile believers, we tend to think that blessed is akin to receiving some kind of blessing from God. But this is really not the understanding people in the first century had when used this way. Jesus was not identifying something we get, but rather identifying a condition of our soul, our inner person, that already exists. And and what already existed was a unique oneness with God because of being in a relationship with him. This state of bliss or blessed state exists regardless of our human condition, a state the Jewish religious leaders at the time were clueless about because they looked down on and scorned the poor around them. They thought they were better than everyone else. So, friends, in the preamble to the Lord's Prayer, Matthew 6, 5 pictures first and foremost an attitude of sincerity, saying, you are not to be like the hypocrites. Now, the word hypocrite originated with the Greek plays. It's a theatrical term. It refers to an actor who uses masks to portray one or more characters in a play. Today, it's best known for someone who is two-faced, who puts on a mask, hides their real self, you know, acts one way outwardly, but inwardly is someone else. They project a false impression. 
It has also come to mean insincere. We use pharisaical today to mean the same thing the Greek play actors meant, two-faced. An attitude of sincerity helps us stay real, not only before God, but before others. This made me think of the account of the Pharisee and the tax collector in Luke 18, which says, To some who were trusting in themselves that they were righteous and looked down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breasts and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you, Jesus remarked, this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God, for all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Friends, this Pharisee's prayer revealed insincerity. Looking down on others with a contemptuous attitude reveals insincerity. So let's ensure we're sincere, transparent, and not hypocritical in our prayers. The second attitude I see in these verses leading up to the Lord's Prayer is in verse 6, an attitude of submissiveness. Notice our prayers are to be without fanfare, without an outward show, but humble. The picture painted here is praying in secret, trusting totally that God who sees your secret prayers will reward you. Finally, the third attitude I notice is in verse 7, an attitude of straightforwardness. Notice our prayers are to be honest with meaning. If they are meaningless to us, why should they be meaningful to God? One translation says, do not use meaningless repetitions. Another says, saying things that mean nothing. Friends, remember my opening fake prayer, that mishmash of disjointed phrases? No forethought, no depth, no attempt at real communion with God. Just an exercise to fulfill a duty and get it over with. A condensed version of this prayer is in Luke 11. There the prayer begins, when you pray, say, our Father who art in heaven. We might think we should say these actual words. Growing up in a mainstream denomination, I, in fact, did this. I prayed this prayer verbatim every Sunday at the close of the service. There's nothing wrong with praying these words, as long as we realize Jesus' intent is much deeper. The word say in our English Bibles is a multifaceted word with a lot of meaning in the original language. It contains the ideas of uttering definite words that are connected and have significance, words that are collected and organized into a whole. John Bunyan said, let your heart be without words rather than your words be without heart. Now, friends, I'm sure all of you are familiar with Legos because the Greek word used by Luke in the Lord's Prayer is this word Lego. With Legos, you lay them out in front of you in an organized way and build something with them. Well, friends, isn't this the same with prayer? We lay out our words before God in an organized way and build a prayer. In the process, we're also building a relationship. We shouldn't rush through it simply to fulfill an obligation. Have you ever heard of the store called Build-A-Bear? 
Wouldn't it be cool if there was a store called Build a Prayer? A trained employee could guide us through a trail where we put building blocks together to create a prayer at the end and then take it home. Just kidding, but that would be neat, wouldn't it? Friends, I'd like us to see that the Lord's Prayer in Matthew 6 is first a prayer with a pattern. It has structure. It is fashioned by a mind that is organized and thoughtful, someone whose intention is to pray. My take on this is that Jesus' objective here was to show us a life-giving pattern for rich and meaningful communion with God. Each phrase is an invitation to be specific and personal. A youth once approached her Sunday school teacher asking, how can I have a deeper prayer life? The teacher replied, say the Lord's Prayer. Then after a pause, added, but take an hour to say it. Seen as a blueprint or a template for our prayers, notice that the Lord's Prayer begins appropriately with praise, including recognizing God's holiness. It then goes on to acknowledge submission to God's will. Then follows several personal petitions. Finally, it closes with praise, this time reminiscent of 1 Chronicles 29.11. Friends, the Lord's Prayer is not only a prayer with a pattern, but secondly, a prayer with priorities. Its pattern is not haphazard, but constructed with a purpose in mind. Interestingly, just 20 verses later, in Matthew 6.33, Jesus says, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. You see, friends, the underlying goal of the Lord's Prayer is to teach us to first seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and then our other basic needs will be added. Then the body of the Lord's Prayer basically outlines six petitions. The first three focus on God and honoring him as our first priority. The last three spotlight our own needs. Then the prayer closes with praise as it opened, like bookends. A message on a church sign once said, If God gave us the same priority we gave him, would we be saved? The body of the Lord's Prayer also illuminates us to just how it is a prayer with priorities. The first word in the prayer is our, in verse 9. Unlike the Beatles song, I, me, me, mine. The communal aspect of this prayer is then reinforced by the repetition of us in verses 11 12 and 13. And so, friends, our and us right at the outset make us conscious that first, we are not to be selfish. Instead, recognize we're a vital part of a community, a commune, if you will, to borrow from the 60s. The church is a worshiping community and a governing community. We're not just a coalition of loose cannons. John Wesley once remarked, Christianity is essentially a social religion, and to turn it into a solitary one is indeed to destroy it. Oh, I think back to COVID, how it turned the church into a quarantined organization of solitary people. I sometimes wonder if our political leaders had a nefarious goal intertwined here. A radio teacher once commented that what we need to bring back is real fellowship, not people bouncing off one another like marbles in a cathedral. Paul captured this idea in Philippians 2, 3 and 4. Do nothing from selfish or empty conceit, but with humility of mind regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. 
Perhaps you may recall many moons ago when former President Bill Clinton spoke to some 4,000 pastors at Willow Creek Church, invited by their pastor Bill Hybels. During the Q&A session, Hybels tried to get Clinton to see that his sin affected his family, his cabinet, and ultimately the country. But Clinton kept focusing on how the scandal and its aftermath affected him personally. In today's culture, all too often, individual fulfillment is emphasized. All that matters is individuals find themselves. You see, friends, priority living for us Christ followers means being others-centered and resisting our natural tendency to be self-centered. As a prayer with priorities, the Lord's Prayer continues to teach us, first, not to be selfish. Now, second, in 6.9, we are not to be sinful. Hallowed be your name. This can also be worded, may your name be holy. Now, that's a quirky way to say something, isn't it? It's like saying, may the circle be round, or may the square be four-sided. I think that Jesus' intent is to get us to recognize and treat God's name as holy. We all know God is innately holy. Nothing we can say or do will ever change that. But perhaps consciously recognizing and consciously treating God's name as holy will have the beneficial effect that leads us to consider the question, are there things in our lives that dishonor God and not bring him glory? How about, do we live in a way that through us God inspires others to reverence or revere him? By acknowledging God is holy, we actually challenge ourselves to live holy. Third, we are not to be slothful. In other words, idle, lazy. Verse 10 says, Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We would do well, friends, to occasionally take stock and ask, is God's kingdom and his concerns our priority? Peter somewhat mystifyingly states in Second Peter three ten through 12 The day of the Lord will come like a thief in which the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the elements will be destroyed with intense heat, and the earth and its works will be burned up. Since all these things are to be destroyed in this way, Okay, here it comes, friends. What sort of people ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness, looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God? Whoa, wait a minute here, Peter. Are you trying to tell me that I can live in such a way that I can hasten the coming of the Lord? The answer could very well be yes, friends. Fourth, we are not to be sullen. In other words, dismal, gloomy. Verse 11 has the petition, Give us this day our daily bread. Friends, you and I have come to know God as our provider, Jehovah Jireh, right? Actually, it's better. Yahweh Yira, the Hebrew expresses it. Haven't we all found that God not only provides for us, but he also provides through us? So the questions we might consider would be, are we vessels God can use? What does trusting in God's provisions say to others around us? Recognizing our daily dependence on God happens to teach us compassion for the poor. Fifth, we are not to be stubborn, in other words, resistant. Verse 12 says, Forgive us our trespasses as we also have forgiven those who have trespassed against us. 
Listen, friends, only the forgiving are forgiven. Sorry, I can't candy coat this fact. Forgiveness in this prayer is not the forgiveness that once led us to salvation, but the forgiveness that must occur between each of us relationally in the church. You see, friends, the Lord's Prayer is not only a prayer with a pattern and a prayer with priorities, but third, it's a prayer with a price. Isn't it interesting that of all the statements in the prayer, forgiveness is the only matter Jesus refers back to and reinforces the truth of in verses 14 and 15? Unforgiveness comes with a price. If we want mercy from God, we must show mercy to our brothers and sisters in the family of God. It's not a suggestion. The chapter before the Lord's Prayer, chapter 5, one beatitude says, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. It reminded me of Micah 5, eight. He has shown you, O man, or O woman, what is good and what the Lord requires of you, to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. James 2.13 says, Judgment will be merciless to one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Friends, if you're in your car, don't leave it. If you're harboring unforgiveness in your heart towards someone, stop and repent. Confess it to God right now and then reconcile with the other person if that's possible. Please don't leave a trail of unreconciled relationships in your wake. Don't let them follow you to the grave. How can we lead unbelievers to be reconciled to God if we can't live in reconciled relationships with each other? So as a prayer with a price, the Lord's Prayer tells us that first we are not to be sidetracked. Verse 13 says, Do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Temptations sidetrack us. So let's abide by Hebrews 12.1, friends. Lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. God promises to provide a way out. Make 1 Corinthians 10.13 a memory verse and look for that way out as a prayer with a price the lord's prayer tells us that secondly and lastly we are not to be short-sighted verse 13 also says yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever amen so friends let's fix our eyes on jesus so we're not drawn to gratifications of the moment and lose the bigger picture Proverbs 4.25 says, Let your eyes look directly ahead and let your gaze be fixed straight in front of you. Watch the path of your feet and all your ways will be established. Do not turn to the right or to the left. Turn your feet from evil. Well, friends, a fitting close would be reminding us where we began. We began with, you are not to be like the hypocrites. The Lord's Prayer takes us on a journey, bidding us to be sincere, submissive, and straightforward in our walk with God. So how about we hear this disciples' prayer, as I prefer to call it, since Jesus taught it to them. Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our bread for tomorrow, and forgive us our debts or offenses or sins, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil or the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen. 
Well, friends, we're nearing the end of today's program, which will close with an email where you may write me and share your feedback on today's or any previous program you've listened to. One of our faithful podcast listeners recently wrote in regarding part one in this series, Are Our Pursuits Aligned with Scripture? With, as always, a great message and much to think about. We all need to examine our pursuits in terms of what are we pursuing, why are we pursuing it, and what is the ultimate goal. If our pursuits are not God-inspired and not leading to a closer relationship with Him, it's time to go back to the drawing board, lest we allow the world to lead us into activities we should be fleeing from rather than running towards blessings and thanks. Well, thank you for sharing these thoughts. And remember, friends, podcasts of today's session and any previous session may be accessed at faithtalk1360.com. Just search the menu for local program podcasts and then scroll to a word from the word. You may also access a word from the word on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. And please share this program and these podcasts with friends and family. And friends, a word from the word is a listener-supported program. So if these programs are blessing and instructing you, please consider financially helping to keep a word from the word on the air. Just email me for the details. And special thanks goes out to those of you who have been and are faithfully helping to support these teachings you hear each week on A Word from the Word. Well, thanks for listening today, friends. And remember, Jesus loves you. I'm Pastor Tom with A Word from the Word. Friends, if you would like to let Pastor Tom know what this program has meant to you, email him at a word from the word at minister.com. That's a word from the word at minister.com.